Uh, welcome, everyone. I, I'm sort of torn this morning. I've got all of you here. I've got you here through the camera. So how I don't know how this is going to go with preaching this morning. Because if you've noticed lately, I've been like this. And uh, I know the few people that have been here the last few weeks are like, Paul never looks at me ever. I just totally <laughs> ignore people. And I don't want to ignore you. So it's going to be a hybrid this morning. Um, in, in all seriousness, I am like, welcome, all of you. Thank you so much for being here. This is, this is so good. I know this is not ideal what we truly want, uh, but, but I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm so glad that we can be together. So all of you that are here, uh, I am personally welcoming you, looking at you, and it's so good to be together. Um, and you, online, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. See, this is the hybrid model. Um, just a note about the, the church family meeting on Tuesday, too, as far as um, streaming through YouTube. So it's a private event so that it's not public. Um, you can email the office if you somehow, like, don't, I don't have that link. Email us. Uh, and we're going um, gonna to take questions from YouTube. So if you're like, I don't know if I can come, and you want to uh, pose questions, you want to be part of the discussion, we're going to allow that. We're going we're gonna to allow on the chat there. We're going to somehow work that out. So somehow it's going to work. Um, we're, and we're going to do it in here, so we'll be, we'll be socially distanced. Not relationally distanced, but socially distanced, right? All right. That's enough preamble. Let's, um, let's get into the Word. Um, so this is part two, obviously, of Romans 8. And, and this is a different feel this morning. This is, <laughs> like, this is, it's remarkable. This is such a different feel from preaching Romans part one last week and now... We've got people and we're together. So I'm really excited for how God's going to speak to us through this. A, a magnificent chapter in his word. It's, it's just Romans 8 is just so foundational. So we've, we've titled this series, short series, uh, Life in the Spirit. Because the focus of Romans 8, clearly throughout the whole chapter, is this presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, in Christ, and how crucial it is to receive and pursue the Spirit in order to live in the fullness and the richness of this life. And I think that we would all say we want fullness, we want richness in our lives, and that comes through the Spirit. And so we, we ended or, or paused, if you will, last week by looking at how we have this obligation to be led by the Spirit in our lives. And we're going we're gonna to pick it back up at that point there in verse 14 because being led by the Spirit is connected to the verses that we're going to spend our time in today. There's a clear sort of connection. So we'll, we'll slightly go back to go forward, if you will. But I want to, as we get back into Romans uh, 8 this morning, I want to, again, I want to just frame this for us, if you will, or, or remind us, if you've forgotten a little bit of, of from last week. I think it's just good to, to have this reminder before us as we go through this, is that what life in the Spirit is about. And that is lives directed by the Holy Spirit. Vibrant and a, and a deepening hunger for more of the Holy Spirit, to be experiencing more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to have our lives guided, directed, and immersed in the Spirit of God as we live the way of Jesus. That we are just, we're being immersed with the Holy Spirit. And, and so 
this isn't about intellectual knowledge or agreement with certain doctrines. And I'm not saying that that's not important. Of course that's important. But that's not what life in the Spirit is about. It's rather, it's about understanding that the doctrine is meant to push us into a way of life. It's about liberation. To live according to the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit. It's about our lives increasingly experiencing this presence of God and the freedom of God, that we're living in this and experiencing this vibrancy in our relationship with God. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, Romans 8. We're going to start at verse 14. Um, again, we read this verse last week, but it connects to where we're going. So, verse 14. It's, and, no, you know what? Hold on. Yeah, so verse, <laughs> verse 14 is connecting to verse 13, where it's talking there, Paul talks about that uh, you will uh, live by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And then he says, because, in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Okay, sorry, it says there... Uh, sonship. Adoption's a better, actually I wanted to change that. Adoption's a better interpretation. You've received the spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So I want to talk first about the witness of the Spirit here. Because being led by the Spirit is intimately connected of the, the witness of the Spirit in our lives. And according to Galatians 5, this helps us to live in the freedom of the Spirit and to follow his lead. Following where the Spirit's going. Walk according to the Spirit. And so this is speaking of the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and what he testifies and what he witnesses to our spirits. So it's this, this truth that is spoken over us, if you will, and to us by the Spirit. He witnesses to our spirit. And it all centers on our adoption. Our biological, earthly family has no bearing on this, if you will. And so one of the main responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to witness within us who you really belong to. Like, yes, we have a biological family. Yes, we're connected to them, and that's important. But ultimately, this is who we belong to. And this is not a metaphor. It speaks of the change of our heritage, if you will. Again, yes, you have a family of origin on this earth, and we all got baggage to work through because of that. Tada, welcome to life. You have baggage because of your family of origin, because of the effects of sin and brokenness in this world and how it affects families. But through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have received adoption. And it's not an honorary adoption. It's not a second-class adoption. It's not like, well, we're just kind of reluctantly bringing you into this family. It's not that at all. 
And, and, and the reason, we have to interpret this through first century Roman culture to understand the significance here of what Paul's saying. Because adopted sons were deliberately chosen to carry on the name and inherit the estate of the father. This is why it only talks about sons here. It's not that Paul's saying it's only sons. It's, it's the cultural context of the day. And it's, it's actually massive significance because in that Roman culture, when you were adopted as a son, you were not in any way inferior to biological children. You, you, had the, you received the same affection and you were expected to emulate the same character of the father that you were being brought into. And, and so what it speaks of for us is full inclusion, like everything. And the main point for us here is we're to live out of this reality. This is who you are. And so we're invited into this intimate relationship. We cry, Abba, Father. And that, that word there for cry in the Greek, it's an expressive, it's an emotional word that speaks of calling out to God. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of understand, but in the Greek, it's just a very emotive word. And it's paired with this very intentional picture of Jesus as our Father, which, again, maybe we've heard that a lot, but Jesus was the one who came and he presented that to us again and again. God is our Father. It's an incredible, incredible realization. And the Holy Spirit is the one who consistently reminds us, you are God's children. So kids, you all have parents and you're all like, well, I have a, I have a dad, I have a mom. I, this is the, like, these, that's my father, right guys? Like that's your dad. And that's true. But what the word is saying is, but you have a heavenly father who is like even greater. He's the perfect, perfect father and we as adults who you know a lot of us you walk through brokenness and families or you all of us have issues in our families and so you go we need to hear we have a perfect perfect father and it's an invitation this what the holy spirit is doing is this witness it's an invitation into the freedom that can only be found in jesus the imagery here is of being delivered from slavery into lives defined and led by Jesus. We're surrendered to his way. And so this witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's, it's incredibly powerful. It's a constant reminder amidst the noise of this world. This is who you are. We're set apart for Jesus amidst everything that's going on. And it's this, the witness of the Spirit is this powerful assurance of who we are. And, and meaning like it, it tells us, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us, God chose me. God loves me. God wants me. Like it's just that expressive, um, full love of a father going, I want you. I, I chose you. Like I'm your dad. I am his beloved child. Spirit witnesses to us. And this is why it's so so important. We can't even, we can't skip past how important it is to make room for the Spirit in our lives. Not to rush past moments. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to witness to our spirits of the truth of who we are because it solidifies our identity in the midst of confusion, deception in, and the deception of our world. This, like, this has just been a, a massive 
foundational significance in my life, and I'm sure in many of our lives, where you're allowing the Spirit to witness to you as, as we make room for the Spirit. This is who I am. This is who God says I am. And the Spirit, in ways that, that we can't even articulate, ways that are so powerfully personal to us, He goes, you're mine. You're adopted. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he speaks of these experiences and, and he, he talks about how there's many variations and many intensities of them and their importance in our lives in sealing our assurance. He's saying, not that we don't have assurance and aren't sealed with the Holy Spirit, we are. But he noted that this witness in our lives, it, when it happens, it increases our love for God, it brings unspeakable joy, and it brings boldness for witness. John Stott, he talks about this. He says, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this witness, is what makes the difference in our lives between Romans 7 and Romans 8. It's that. Right? Romans 7, like, the things that I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, what am I going to do with all this? I can't. The witness of the Spirit is the difference. And since our adoption is a reality and the fullness of it is coming, that's what it says here. We have to speak of the inheritance that we've received. 1 Peter 1.4 talks about how this inheritance is in heaven. It's kept for us. It will never perish. It will never be ruined. It will never change. And within the view of Scripture, the inheritance that we're going to receive, ultimately this inheritance is God himself. We will receive God. The Levitical priesthood, when they ministered to God, the Levites, they didn't receive anything because they were receiving God as their inheritance. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's, that's the inheritance that we're speaking of here. We get, we get God. But we can't ignore the, the last half of verse 17. Not if we're going to experience the full life of Christ. And that is sharing in the suffering of Jesus so that we may also share in his glory. Because the essence of discipleship with Jesus is union with him. And it means both embracing his suffering and it means embracing his glory. Let's go on and read on. We're going to talk about this. Because Paul says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, being God, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So I want to talk here in these verses about the inevitability of suffering. C.S. Lewis, he addressed this head-on in his masterpiece, that book that is just marvelous, The Problem of Pain. And, and it's not only about how we deal with suffering, but how we make sense of it. How do we respond to it? That's, that's kind of what he was doing in this book. And in speaking of this, C.S. Lewis, he said that the, the human spirit will not 
even begin to try and to surrender self-will. Like we don't even want to surrender our will as long as everything seems to be going okay. Then we're quite happy to go along. In fact, he says it seems that the deeper error and sin, the, the, sorry, the deeper that error and sin is in our lives, like the deeper it's buried, the less we even suspect its existence. And he says pain tells us that something is wrong. He says pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you ever think about that? Like pain and suffering in that way that God actually works marvelously through it to, to work his purposes in us. Now, pain and suffering is a real problem for us. It really is because it's magnified because we, have, we are in a culture, we've been immersed in a culture that goes to great lengths to distance ourselves and avoid this at all costs. Like, we do not want to talk about suffering. We don't want to talk about pain. We don't like suffering. And I'm not saying we should like suffering. Like, I'm not saying bring it on. Like, I want to avoid it too. I don't like it at all. But Scripture confronts me because it has a very different response to it. And so I want want you to invite you right now to consider why we largely view suffering as we do. Or, or why we largely seek to avoid it. And I, I, again, the, the, word, the Lord works marvelously so nicely things. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, by Mark Sayers. He's the author of Reappearing Church. Um, the, he talks about patterns of renewal. I shamelessly stole that last year and talked a lot about that. Uh, but Mark, he's got this prophetic gift. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. To, to take past world events and current world events... And he loves reading all sorts of books. Like his, his ability to read books, I'm just, I'm amazed. But he weaves it all together into a prophetic picture of what God is doing in the midst of all this. And so uh, I was listening actually to a podcast where he was weaving uh, all this stuff in American history, how it led up to the Capitol riots. Fascinating. But in there, he talks about how the promise of Scripture is overarching, is the, the remaking of a new heavens and a new earth, right? Would we agree with that? God is bringing about a new heavens and a new earth. That's coming. And our understanding of this, though, has been influenced, and, and I believe it's for us true as Canadians, by the U.S. ideology of manifest destiny. Now, I say it's been, we've been influenced by this, too, because we, we are immersed in American culture through entertainment and through news and all sorts of things. But he talks about how this, the remaking of the free world was, was, has been happened in the last 60, 70, 80 years. And this sort of idea of being released into freedom, which has been uh, this American-led globalization. And that's like the, you, they termed that, that phrase. That was, they, they manufactured that phrase, the free world. And Hollywood is an example serves as a temple of dreams, if you will, like where we are meant to worship in God's temple. Hollywood is this sort of counterfeit of this temple of dreams for us and and shaping ideas of what the future will look like. And power is a key ingredient of this along with success. And so he talked about how the beginning of the mid-20th century, so 1950-ish, ish, ish, the con- it was the rise of the contemporary church. 
and where it became, it, there was this shift where the gospel was less about our sin and our brokenness and needing to give ourselves wholly to God, and it became a vision of success and individual freedom in a world of liberty packaged with a Christian veneer. And so you get success instead of salvation. Jesus is here to make your life successful. He wants you to have freedom and liberty, and it's packaged in this American, or if you will, Western dream, this view of life. Massive societal influence. And so there's this fusing of power and prestige in the culture with this message of success, and it's with a Christian veneer. And this gospel, and this is not just, I'm not just talking about a prosperity gospel. Yeah, there's that. But this has been, this has influenced so much of a Protestant evangelical gospel. And it, it does not have room in it for suffering and a world that's actually in bondage to decay. Like it says here. It doesn't fit with the message. This, what we just read there, doesn't fit with the message of success and progress and where we're going. And yet suffering exists. And the thing about suffering is that it's varied, unknown. We, we don't know the seasons of suffering that we may have to walk through. We, we just don't know. And so because of that, this can lead to fear, it can lead to worry, anxiety, can lead to control issues as we seek to manage and mitigate mitigate risk in our lives. Like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to experience suffering and pain. So I... And we're, and we're constantly against this. And this is where Romans 8.18 resounds with clarity for our lives. It says, our present sufferings, which Paul's writing this, his sufferings were like infinitely, like a lot bigger than ours right now. He says, his sufferings, these sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And, and the topic of suffering, this is the thing about suffering too, it's all over the New Testament. Like, to not talk about suffering, you're just going to ignore large portions of the New Testament. And it, but it's always, and it's fused so many times, suffering and glory. They're welded together. They're, they're inseparable, but they're not comparable. That's really important. They, they're together, but they're not comparable. This is 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says there, he says, these light and momentary afflictions, right? Now, think about what Paul's, what he suffered, what he went through. He says, these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory far beyond comparison. It outweighs them all. What he's saying is, whatever the weight of, of suffering and pain is in, in this life, they compare, the weight of our glory is infinitely greater so this, I believe we need a profound shift if we're going to grasp this. And that is the earth is not where it's at in its current form. This, this is not it. It was never meant to be it. Even creation, says here, is in a state of frustration. That, that word there means emptiness. It's the same word that the Septuagint uses to translate Ecclesiastes 1-2. All is vanity. All is emptiness. All is frustration. 
So this, this expresses the absurdity of living lives without a focus on God and eternity. Like it's just, it's totally illogical to live this life without a, a view of God and eternity and what's to come. Because everything right now is in bondage to decay. It's in a state of frustration. And God subjected it to this state. Why? In hope, it says, not that it's in doubt, that creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay. They will be brought into a glorious freedom alongside the children of God. Jesus spoke of the renewal of all things. Peter spoke of the restoration of all things. Paul spoke of liberation here, and he also spoke of the reconciliation of all things. John spoke of the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. This is the theology, this is the doctrine that we need to embrace because it completely alters how we view this earth, how we view our lives, how we view living for eternity. Because it, it, it will be tragic. And that, I'm not, that word doesn't even begin to describe how, how utterly tragic it will be when people enter into eternity and realize the enormous effort they put into things that have absolutely have no value, zero value in eternity. And they live their lives for the pursuit of this stuff. This is why all of this will transform how we deal with suffering, how we make sense of it, how we respond to it. Creation, it says, waits in eager expectation. The Greek here, it's, it's an amazing picture in the Greek. And uh, we sang it this morning, actually. We, we say, lift up, our, lift up our head, right? I think it is in, in the song, Jen. Anyways, I made note of it when we were singing it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But this, in the Greek here, this creation waits in eager expectation. It speaks of head raised, eyes fixed on the horizon, and it depicts of someone standing on their tiptoes, looking. Look what's to come. Look. Oh, that's what it's saying. This is, this is a picture of what we're to be, what, what creation is looking at. This is what for the posture of how we're supposed to look at what's coming, what's going to be revealed. How we can wait for the glorious freedom. The glorious freedom. It's, it's there. It's coming. That's the Greek. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who waits for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have yet have, we wait for it patiently. How many of you were like, I have had a very visceral experience with verse 22, pains of childbirth. How many of you? You aren't putting your hands up. Okay. Groaning. <laughs> I know. Got to stay. You got to be careful here. Groaning is a theme throughout these verses. Groaning. I'm not going to groan because, but it's an important theme. 
Now, I have, a first, I have first-hand knowledge of what this looks like leading up to the birth of a child. How many of you have first-hand knowledge of this? Not experience. Not, not first-hand experience, first-hand knowledge. Those are two very different things right now. Women are like, that's a very different thing. It's an important <laughs> distinction. But this picture is so important when it comes to waiting for God's work of renewal and redemption, how we respond. I, you know, I forgot. I'm talking here about the tension of hope. That's the third thing. We're talking about the tension of hope in these verses. The, what Paul is, is, is trying to express here is that how our waiting, it's like the pain of labor that is followed by the joys of birth. It's, a, it's an incredible picture. We have to be honest. We're living in the tension right now in all of this, in the now but not yet. And this is really significant. But we need, we, we, have, we have truth to help us address this tension. And it's, it's a really, really important and significant but that we have here. But, but we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have the first fruits. And this speaks to his indwelling. And what, what, what that term means, the first fruits, it's speaking about the harvest that's to come. You've, you have the first fruits. You've seen what's coming. And there is a bountiful harvest to come. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Just wait for what's to come. And the point of that is the Holy Spirit is given to us to hold us amidst this tension in life. The fact that suffering is tied to future glory. You go, I don't know how to make sense of that. I don't know, like, I don't know how to make sense of the inevitability of suffering and how it's tied to future glory. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us. In fact, what these verses reveal is that the presence of the Holy Spirit increases our awareness of our longing for what is to come and our desire, the desire that we have for consummation. That we want this to be completed. In fact, what, what these verses reveal is that the presence of the Holy Spirit increases our awareness of our longing for what is to come. The work of the Spirit in our lives heightens our awareness to this tension. Meaning, what, what we get here is that things are not as they should be. Both in this world and around us and within ourselves. Things are not as they should be. We long for the transformation of our bodies. We long for full restoration. To, to wait eagerly for our adoption and our redemption. It's again... What it's speaking there to, it's, it's the same verb as looking with eager expectation, but it's a little bit different. It's talking about looking forward to with keen expectation. And I think of this as like, maybe some of you can identify, leading up to a trip or a vacation. You've, you've planned something out, you're looking forward to something, and, and you've, you've got all these plans that are to come, and you can, you can kind of just, you're waiting expectantly for what's to come. But it's a little bit far off, and you've got life to live in the meantime, and you've got tasks to do, and you've got responsibilities, but there's like this expectation of what's coming. That's, that's what it's like here. That's the picture. And the key 
is hope rooted in the resurrection of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Embracing this tension or being rooted in hope is key to living between this present difficulty and future destiny. There is present difficulty, but there's future destiny between the suffering and the glory. And so there's something significant about stirring eagerness and expectation throughout our lives. Hebrews 9 talks about this, those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there's this thing about eagerness through commitment to spiritual disciplines, through habits that pursue God. The verb for eagerness, it appears here three times in these verses. The last time, it's combined with patience or the need to persevere. And so this is a challenge for us, not to grow weary, not to grow apathetic, not to grow complacent. But there's also in our longing and a desire for more of God, there's, there's a challenge for us not to forget that suffering and groaning exists. Like not to just act like, oh, it's all good. We're just going to pursue the Holy Spirit. We're going to go after it. And like, and we don't deal with the reality of suffering and groaning. Yes, we, we have received the promise, but the consummation is still to come. We haven't got it fully. We've got the promise, but it's still coming. But the Holy Spirit is given to us to keep us longing, keep us pursuing, keep us seeking, stirring eagerness amidst the tension. We've got to stir this up. All right, let's read verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I love that these verses here on suffering and the glory to come and the tension that we live in of the now, the not yet, the tension and the hope that we have and we're looking forward to, they're bookended by the Spirit. We have the witness of the Spirit and then it talks about the ministry of the Spirit. We're not left to our own resources. The Spirit helps us, it says, in our weakness. Like, praise Jesus. We are not left to ourselves. Do you know how good it is, the good news, that you are not left to your own devices? It's amazing. That's an incredible promise. This is an incredible revelation of how prayer is such a gift to help us right here. It involves the Father, it involves the Son, and the Spirit. The inspiration of the Spirit, it talks about here, the access provided by the Son, and the invitation to relationship with the Father. And prayer is the means by which we receive the ministry of the Spirit and align ourselves to the will of God. Have you ever considered the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Like the actual ministry of Him to you. His intercession in your life. 
that the Holy Spirit is praying for you in accordance with God's will for you. That's what it says here. Ministering to you amidst pain, amidst struggles, amidst failings, amidst all frustrations, amidst dealing with our own brokenness, dealing with our own character shortcomings, all that stuff. The Holy Spirit's ministering to us. And he's praying for us in accordance with God's will. With groans, it says, that words cannot express. Why is this? Because it seems as if the Holy Spirit identifies with your current state. He identifies with where you're at. We groan with longing because of our imperfection. We're groaning that we want to see creation redeemed. We want to see the redemption of our bodies. We want to see everything made right. So that's why we groan. We're imperfect. The Holy Spirit isn't. But he comes alongside us. He sees the pain and, and, and he longs for us to experience the freedom that's coming. The Holy Spirit goes, I see what's coming. I know. I know what's coming. And I'm going to come alongside them. And I am going to intercede for them with groans that words cannot express. Because I understand the groaning that's going on. I understand the tension of waiting. I understand that it doesn't always make sense. I understand. And I'm coming to intercede alongside you according to the will of the Father. That you don't know. You don't know. I can pray stuff, and I don't know always what the will of the Father is. I don't know what I need. I don't know how to react. I don't know how to, how to respond. Holy Spirit says, I'm there for you. I'm there. And there's so much to mine here. This is the incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The life that we are invited to live in. These verses speak of what we are and what we are to be like. We're to have this reliance on the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Jesus said that. I'm giving you the Spirit to lead you into all truth. The Father searches our hearts, it says here, and he's faithful to make us more like his son. We'll, talk, we'll touch more on that next week. That's more about, it's, that comes later on here in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit will always, always minister to us and intercede for us in accordance with God's will. I, there's no greater assurance. Remember, you are adopted, you are sons and daughters. You have a father in heaven who loves you chose you and wants you. He has a will for us and he says, Holy Spirit, pray and intercede for them in accordance with my will. I know the will. They don't always know. So I want to I end here with two invitations this morning to engage with the Holy Spirit. First, this coming week, I want to encourage you once again to, again, spend a minimum 10 minutes a day just seeking and hungering and asking for more of the Spirit. Just set aside 10 minutes again this week of going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue and seek the Holy Spirit intentionally alongside spiritual disciplines, alongside times of personal worship. You know, 
the stuff we talked about last week, reading books that stir your affection for Jesus, prayer and worship with the body of believers. But this week, on your own, 10 minutes a day, just invite the Holy Spirit to stir longing in you. Second, I want to, I wanna, as Jen comes up here, I want to invite us all to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning. It talks about here how the, the Holy Spirit ministers to us. To invite the witness of the Holy Spirit, asking and inviting the Holy Spirit, would you pour out more of your presence on me? If you're in your home right now, you can, you can do this too. You can receive, just invite the Holy Spirit as we worship here. Invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit, where you need him to speak to your heart, where you need him to pour out his presence in your life, invite him. Let's be intentional right now in just making room for him. Father, we thank you so much of your love for us. We thank you so much that you chose us, that you adopted us thank you, Jesus, that because of your sacrifice, you have made a way. You invite us to come before the throne with boldness. You have made a way. We have unhindered access to the Father, creator of all things, the one who loves us, the one who chose us in you before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before you. We thank you. We are so so amazed at what you do in our lives. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you intercede on behalf of us, that you come alongside us and you witness to us who we are. You say, remember, 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 remember. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry. We thank you for how you work in us. Thank you for how you testify to the goodness of God in our lives. The goodness of our Father. As we worship this morning, as we close, we want to receive that this morning as well. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we pray this in your mighty and powerful name.